Good morning, everyone. How are you this morning? Good. I want to, just before we get to, um, before we dive into the message, just have a few announcements for you, okay? Um, so last, last week we handed out the, um, the schedule for the Christmas season here. If you weren't here to get one of these, I have literally, I'm, I, I have just a handful up here that I can uh, give you a paper copy. Uh, you can also find them on the Facebook page. Um, as well, all of the Christmas schedule, the Christmas calendar is on here. Um, this coming Saturday, so six days from today, at 10 a.m., we'll be gathering here to decorate the church. And if you uh, if you remember last week, last week we talked about the kind of the overall theme for uh, the Christmas season. What fun! And and it's been it's been commonplace or kind of popular lately to um, ce- celebrate Christmas in the simplicity and like the simpleness and the the bare essentials and but this year we're going in the complete opposite direction and it's like um big over the top overwhelming borderline gaudy christmas oh what fun christmas celebrating um magnifying all of the reasons that we have uh to celebrate the season so um decorating will be fun because it's not going to be just white lights so if you're able to come to that on Saturday at 10 a.m., um, that, that would be great. The other one that we announced last week was um, the gift baskets for all of the foster families in Chautauqua County. And I uh, gave you a little bit of an example of uh, what we're trying to put together. And we need about 50 of things similar to this. Um, so we're trying to put together um, gift baskets, family-oriented, family-style gift baskets uh, that a family uh, can enjoy, and we'll be delivering these to all the um, active foster families in uh, Chautauqua County on December, starting on December the 10th. So I had someone come up to me this morning with an idea to create like a like a movie, uh, a family movie gift basket. So there's going to put some movies in there and some popcorn and some boxes of candy and uh and things like that something the family can enjoy and this is just one example so we're gonna uh we'll be gathering those here um on the 9th december the 9th we're gonna pray over all of the baskets as they go out um to families and so if you would like to um if you would like to you and your family put together one of those fam or one of those baskets or a couple of those baskets even or if you just despise shopping but would love to contribute, um, uh, you can contribute some money and uh, we'll have um, some of our people here go and, um, go and buy that stuff. So if you have any questions about that, uh, feel free to see me uh, after the service. And like I said, there's a few of the Christmas schedules up here still. So uh, I know uh, a lot of you probably have um, or maybe maybe have quest- questions about how the, um, the mission team is do- doing. If, you, if you're not aware, um, this past Friday, so just two days ago, um, 23 people from, uh, from here at Conduit, including uh, three of our staff members and, um, and some of their spouses, and, and then 20 individuals went on a, on a, on a long-planned um, long-anticipated mission trip to Tegucigalpa, the capital city of Honduras. Um, I've had, I have had some contact with them, but uh, I, can, I can tell you that everything is going okay. Um, everyone, is, everyone is safe. Everyone is 
uh, relatively healthy. There have been no major hiccups. There were a couple lost luggage bags, but those have been located and found and returned to their respective owners. Um, but I, I will say that there has been, or there uh, it was communicated to me via Pastor Corey and Brianne and, and Katie, that there is a very um, real, or there's a very real sense of, um, of the enemy being against them. Um, and that's in like some of the team members getting like weirdly sick. Um, some, of, uh, some, some issues with staff members of churches down in Honduras. Like strange things. Not strange things, but not strange things. You know, we know that um, we believe that uh, the what what was planned and what we had planned to do there was um, is guided and inspired by God and and any plan of God the enemy seeks to frustrate and disrupt and dismantle and that includes not just the plans of God but also the people of God and and so we we of course would anticipate that not everything on the trip would go as smoothly as you would as you would plan out on paper if you could so. Um, so we, um, the team is in great spirits, morale is great, everyone's laughing and having a great time, but there is, of course, this sense of spiritual anticipation and, like, wind in their faces. And so we want to, um, we want to pursue that in prayer, uh, on their behalf. Uh, we want to pray, we want to pray very, very clearly for them, very, um, uh, very directed for them. So, um, if you if you would let's let's take a few minutes now. Uh, let's have a brief a brief moment of individual prayer where if you would lift them up um, uh, individually where you are, and then uh, I will come in and uh, close us out in prayer, and then we'll uh, we'll carry on for the rest of our service. So let's let's have a just a brief minute of prayer. Father in heaven, there are, um, there are so many people in Honduras right now that we know and we love that are close to us, Lord. Father, we know that you are, uh, you are with them even, um, even as we speak, Lord, that uh, even though there is, a, there is a, um, a gap of distance between us and them, Lord, um, that we, we contend in the same spirit for them and with them, Lord, that um, they are not far from you, however far from us they are. Lord, we also know that the enemy would like nothing more than to frustrate, distract, uh, confuse uh, the plans that you have through the team while they're there. And so, Lord, we pray now in the name of Jesus, 
that every attempt of the enemy would be stopped in its tracks. Lord, that though there would be um, opposition, wind at their faces, Lord, that you would, you would change the trajectory of that wind, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit may become the wind at their back, Lord. The wind in their sails, Father. Lord, um, allow those who are there to truly be uh, conduits of the love and grace of God in Jesus Christ. Lord, may they be uh, an encouragement uh, to the missionaries, to the pastors who are there. That they would be, Lord, as your word says, uh, light in a dark place, a lamp on a stand, a city on a hill, the salt of the earth. Lord, may their, may their love, may their grace, may their gentleness and compassion, may their joy, Lord, um, be distinctive in Tegucigalpa. We pray, Lord, for the physical health of all of our team members. We pray, Lord, for the emotional and spiritual health of all of our team members, Lord. We pray for continued unity uh, within the team uh, with a common sense of vision and purpose. We pray for endurance and perseverance and courage for the leaders of that team. Lord, that they might see very clearly. They might be able to read the room of the team, so to speak, and lead in a way that's glorifying to you. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to partner with them on this trip. Lord, though we are here and they are there, our partnership with them now in this moment in prayer, Lord, cannot be, cannot be overstated. Lord, may you unite our spirits with theirs as we unite with them in prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you would open up your, uh, your Bible this morning to the book of Philippians. Uh, we'll be in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. Paul is, Paul is writing this, this year uh, to the church, a group of people that he had occasion and blessing to disciple up into the Lord and to, uh, to plant this church, and they were, uh, the, the church in Philippi was a product of his ministry, um, and so he had great affection for them, uh, he loved them. Uh, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was writing them a letter. It's a greeting there. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. 
In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who has began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, Paul, Paul here in, in, these, in the first kind of opening stanza of his letter uh, to the Philippians shows, like he shows such um, spiritual vitality and maturity and 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 depth in his prayer right he's he's communicating to the philippians how much affection he has for them and how he's he's praying um he's praying that their knowledge may increase that their discernment may um increase that they'd be able to discern what the will of god is he's praying that um he's thanking them for their partnership gospel um, he's, he's encouraging them that the, that the work that God began in them as, as a people, that he was going to carry it on to completion, that God, you know, God wasn't done with them yet. It was just like, it's just beginning, like where you, where you, where you get a, a sense that, that Paul is like, there are levels to this thing, right? There, there are, there are levels to the love of Jesus. And, and if there are levels like Cameron Leinhart is here and the Apostle Paul is like here, right? Listening to uh, the way that he is talking to, writing to the Apostle Paul. And I mean, like, I guess if you think about Paul's life and you think about what he was about and what he, what he said about doing it, it makes really good sense. I mean, he, he traveled all over the Mediterranean for years, preaching uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching about the, the, the saving work of, of Jesus Christ, this Jewish savior, this, this guy, Paul, um, once greatest persecutor of Christianity, now Christianity's greatest advocate. I mean, what, what better of a story could you have and what more qualified and spiritual of a messenger of that story could you have i mean it's like it's the perfect picture paul it seems is like been riding this spiritual high of his damascus road experience for seems like all of the new testament and and that like that that's a it's a pattern that that seems to be that seems to exist in most people's lives throughout their 
um, throughout their walk with Jesus, throughout their, their, their journey in faith. And, and, and that pattern is, is that they, they're, you know, they're, they're walking along, they're doing their own thing, right? They have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And, and however that encounter, whatever that encounter is like, Jesus changes them, right? And they, they step into this spiritual life that at certain times and at certain places on the timeline of your faith puts you in this place that you, that you would describe as a spiritual high, right? Mountaintop. Things are great. I sense the Lord is with me. I, I, I am affirmed of his love for me. I have, I have no doubts whatsoever, and this is never going to end, and this is how it's always going to be, and like, man, I'm going to go all the way around the Mediterranean, and I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to all these Jews, and they're, just gonna, they're, they're all going to believe by faith in Jesus, and, and like the spiritual high, right? But, but what happens? Have you, have you experienced this, had this experience in your own life, right, where you're, you're here, right? And then you have this experience with Jesus, and you're here, right? And then the experience with Jesus, it lasts and 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 then, <clears throat> right? Like it falls off the cliff, right? And it's not necessarily that something horrible happens or that your life is changed dramatically in an instant. Sometimes it is, but most of the time what happens is life just turns back to normal right the 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 everyday of life the mundane of life the the normal rhythm and pattern of life it it hits again right and and in the spiritual high that you thought would never end the spiritual high that you believed was your new reality with Jesus has now just proven that it was just, again, one, experience, one fleeting experience that you may or may not ever experience again. And so you, you hit the off-ramp, right, of Jesus living. It's like the off-ramp or the gas pedal. And it seems like Paul is on one of those spiritual highs when he's talking to the Philippians. Just in the way that he's even like, it's all about them. And he's like so encouraged. I thank God every time I remember all of my prayers for all of you. I pray with joy because of your partnership with the gospel from the first day until the last. I have you in my heart. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. This is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge depth of insight right like, like it just seems like man paul is like he's on fire he's got it going on right and he's like man i wish i could just like grab on to the whatever whatever paul has like that's what i want right now and I'll tell you like something going on here in the background of paul's life that is not necessarily evident from the first 11 verses of the letter to the Philippians. And that is that Philippians is one of those, one of those letters that Paul wrote 
from a jail cell. He, he wrote it from inside a Roman prison. So as he, was, as he was sitting in a Roman prison, chained, likely to the wall, as was the case in most, he was writing this letter to the Philippians with what appears to be this this overwhelming spirit of joy and thankfulness and prayer and spiritual maturity and, and vitality in what most would consider to be the lowest of lowliest places that a person could be, a jail cell. And as it would turn out, right, we know now that Paul would never, Paul would never get out of that jail cell, right? He would never, he would never be chains. Um, and so the question, um, the question is, how in the world did Paul, in the midst of being chained to a wall in a Roman prison, maintain this spiritual high of vitality and maturity and joy and prayerfulness and affection and love for people that he was, in this case, writing to? Because whatever Paul, whatever Paul had in that moment, man, I want, right? I want some of that. I, 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 want, I want some of that, that that helps me, right? That takes me, even in, my, even in the lowliest of my circumstance, to have a spiritual perspective that is like way outside of what is normal. Um, whatever Paul had, I want. See, Paul's um, circumstances, Paul's circumstance in his ministry constantly changed. It wasn't all just spiritual high. It wasn't all just mountaintop evangelistic experience. He was run out of more places than he was received. He was threatened more than he was embraced. He was despised more than he was loved. So now, in all in in all of reality, did Paul maintain this fervor for what he was doing? Why do, we, why do we have all of these examples and experiences of how Paul, it seems, constantly and consistently was positive and winning people to Jesus Christ and praying and encouraging for other leaders? What was the, what was the thing that was different about Paul that that you and I can't have or experience or that we don't normally experience on our own. I preached, um, I don't remember when it was, I guess it was a few months ago, um, about this idea of having a, um, a personal North Star. Everyone, everyone know what I mean when I say a, a North Star? So like the... We talk about the, the story, the Christmas story is coming up, right? The, that the, uh, the wise men, they followed the North Star. It was like a reference point way off in the distance that led them to the, the, the stable where Jesus was born or the place where Jesus was, right? It was this, and, and we use it now um, as kind of this both general and if you're nautically, you know, we, we can use it as a point of reference that helps us um, when, when, all, when, we, when we don't know the, the terrain of what is around us, if we can find the North Star, right? 
we can continue on. And, and when the circumstances of life, right, are, use whatever analogy you want, the, the, the circumstances of life are is like crashing waves and wind or fog or snow. If we can find the North Star, right, you can maintain direction, you can maintain course, you can maintain a true heading no matter what. Paul had a absolutely unmovable, absolutely unshakable North Star. So that even in the midst of sitting in a in, in a prison cell, the circumstance of his imprisonment made no difference to him. Because his circumstance wasn't what he was, it, it, what, his, his circumstance was not his North Star. Whatever was happening to him was not the thing that he was going to base the rest of his life off of. His North Star sat outside of his circumstance, out, outside of his experience. And he, and he kept his eye fixated upon that thing so that it didn't matter if he was in jail. It doesn't matter if he was in chains. He says it right here. I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you can share in God's grace with me. So listen. These are two important things that we're going to learn from Paul this morning. Um... We have a lot to cover this morning. I'm praying for swiftness. <laughs> when, we, when we are the center of our own universe, it is nearly impossible to overcome trial, hardship, or suffering. When, when we are the center of our own universe, when, when we are our own North Star, it is nearly impossible to overcome trial, hardship, or suffering. But when we live into the purpose of bringing glory to God by witnessing to the grace and love of Jesus our circumstances fade into the background you see what's different about my life than it was Paul's life what I'm asking God to do in my life that Paul's life witnesses too here in these moments Paul's life was so radically Jesus-focused that the change in his circumstance did not produce a change in his personal mission. I mean, that he had a personal mission that was not affected by or a part of any of his circumstance. If you look Further, in um, the letter to the Philippians, right, we read up until verse 11, but, but search with me through the rest of the, the first chapter here and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about here. See, in, in verse 12, Paul, Paul goes on to, to say 
he, he basically goes on to, to, um, to buttress the, the point that his circumstance had no bearing or no effect on his personal demeanor or his personal mission because his circumstance was not his point of reference. In verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, his circumstance, right, has really served to advance the gospel. So he was viewing his circumstance here through the lens of what his personal mission was. And, and, and it didn't matter in this, in this case what, what, was, what, what was happening to him, right? Because, because that's not what his, he was basing his life or the success of his life or his personal mission off of. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really just served to advance the gospel. And down in, in verse 14, he says, because of my chains. Most of the, the brothers in the Lord to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It was because he was imprisoned, because he was chained, because sitting in that jail cell where, where everyone else around him was, was, was horrified at their circumstances, it was, it was his insistence that he was living with a perspective towards Jesus is calling on his life that actually provided encouragement and boldness to those around him. So that when, when, when Paul lived outside of the reality of his circumstance and lived into the mission that Jesus had given him, it had actually served to encourage those around him who couldn't seem to break out of their rut. Because of my change, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. If you don't jump down into verse 18 here in the same section, he, he, he just goes on, he just keeps saying, but what does it matter? He says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. It doesn't matter why other people are doing the things that they're doing. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. What, what, what matters is this. Christ is being preached. The gospel of Jesus Christ is going forward. It's going out. Who cares about my chains? Who cares about those people? There's, there's, there's one thing. One thing only. The mission of the gospel going forward. Verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's expectation and his hope, his prayer for himself, is that God would just give him sufficient courage so that even if he would die in the place where he was, which he did, 
that in his death, Jesus Christ would be exalted. Because for, for him, it's all about Jesus. It's just all about glorifying Jesus. All about exalting Jesus. For me to live is Christ. Yeah, pain, whatever, man. You know, there's, there's lots of different conversations to have about this whole reality. And, and one is we can continue down this path of like, what is, what is you know, what, what is the, the, the personal mission that Jesus is calling you to? For Paul, the personal mission that Jesus was calling him to was to take the message of the gospel to the Jews, to the Gentiles. Now, <laughs> we could go down that path and we could talk about, well, what is the personal mission that Jesus is calling you to? What is, what is your North Star? What is the thing that is going to keep you fixated and focused even when you're in chains, even when the circumstance of your life changes? Um, but I, I get the sense that... Um, the Lord wants us to go in a different direction this week. Um, because there's this other thing that's happening here in Paul's life. And what, maybe the kind of the elephant in the room that you, you ignore in a situation like this is um, that, well, <laughs> how about instead of talking about, like, how do we maintain um, a North Star type of attitude um, what about just even the plain existence of needing to have a North Star because the circumstances of my life seem to be spinning out of control? Like, what? why, maybe most practically for you and I, is a, a discussion about trials, about suffering, about, about hardship, because that really, truly is uh, as universal a human experience as there is suffering, um, hardship, uh, trials. Somewhere, somewhere in the course of history, somewhere in my own personal discipleship, somewhere likely in your own personal dis discipleship, Christianity as a whole, the church as a whole, has, has failed to, to clearly and correctly communicate that relationship with Jesus does not mean the absence of personal hardship or suffering. So, so, somehow we've, we've developed this idea, right, that relationship with Jesus equals absence of personal suffering. But it's, in fact, the exact opposite. If, if not even Jesus himself escaped hardship, then, then we should not expect that our spirituality would do us any better. Just by virtue of having relationship with God or virtue of having even knowledge of that somehow we are immune 
to hardship, that we are immune to trial, that we are immune to suffering. Not the case. But there's also, um, there's an equally, (laughs) there's an equally deeper conversation to have. Um, Because uh, I think the, the scripture communicates and just raw experience communicates that uh, not all difficult things in your life are created equal. Not all difficult things are created equal. Um, and, and this is re- really wanna, what I want to kind of um, sit on for the rest of the, the message. Because... Um, because there's oftentimes this real, real tense dichotomy that we live in, this balancing act that we try to find, right? And that, that so the, the, on, on one extreme, it's that um, everything, every difficult circumstance or situation in my life exists in my life because um, because because God put it there. I'm going through something difficult. I'm going through something hard. I'm suffering, and it's God's fault. God is doing this to me. That's an extreme over here. On the other side of the on the other side of the pendulum is this idea that this kind of pie in the sky, um, I don't mean that pejoratively, I don't, I mean, there's this idea that, well, God is so nice and so loving and so fair and so good that he doesn't really cause anything difficult, hard, any suffering in my life. God's not the origin of any of that. God's not the origin of any trial or difficulty or pain. And what what Scripture wants to show us is that both of the extremes are wrong. Because um, uh, because not all trial, not all hardship, not all suffering is created equal. Uh, There are two types, okay? Two main types. And for for the purposes of this message, we're going to call... We're going to, like, I'm going to use the word trial to also mean, like, any hardship or any, any suffering, right? Trial, hardship, suffering. So, y'all with me? Trial? Got it? I'm going through a real trial right now. Understand? Shake your head. Say amen if you understand, so I know you're with me. Amen. Okay. So, a trial. What is, specifically, what is a trial? When we say, I'm going through a trial... I'm experiencing a trial. A trial is a difficult circumstance allowed or initiated by God to produce soul currency and bring me to a place of maturity. I'm going to leave that up there for just a second. All right? Trial is a difficult circumstance allowed or initiated by God 
to produce soul currency and bring me to a place of maturity. Some maybe notable places in Scripture that trials are talked about. We're going to get to some of these in a minute, so don't, you don't have to go there now, but James chapter 1, right? Persevere through trial. Romans chapter 5, right? These, these kind of magna cum laude passages about trial and hardship and suffering in your life. But remember, not all hard things, not all difficult things are created equal in your life. There are trials, things that are difficult, that have been initiated and allowed by God to produce in you some soul currency and to, and to raise you up, bring you up in maturity, both in life, emotionally, mentally, physically, but also spiritually. But since, no, since not all hardships are created equal, we have to ask the question, well, what's the other side of the pendulum here? Sometimes we go through significant trials, right? But other times, we experience pain of consequences. And a trial is different than a consequence. And a, a, a consequence being different from a trial, a consequence is this. A consequence is a difficult circumstance initiated by you, a product of a poor choice, but redeemable by God. A consequence is a difficult circumstance that is initiated by you, the product of poor choice or poor choices but absolutely redeemable by God. Now, the, the question here, or where the rub is, is determining, all right, when I am in a difficult season of life, when I am experiencing a difficult circumstance, right, what am I experiencing? Am I in the midst of a trial something allowed or initiated by God to develop soul currency to bring me up into maturity, or am I experiencing a consequence? A natural overflow of a circumstance initiated by me because of poor choices? Which one is it? Am I suffering because it's a consequence of what I've done? Or am I suffering because God is developing intentionally something within me? So, uh, what I want to do is maybe talk just a moment, one, how to determine whether we're experiencing a trial or a consequence, and then what to do when we're experiencing one or the other. Because I've never, <laughs> I've never met anyone who was like, yeah, I'm I'd be happy to know whether it's a trial or a consequence, and I don't really care if I stay there or not. It's good. I'm good here under this rock, you know. It's crushing me. Most people want to know, one, what is it? Or actually, honestly, most people don't care what it is. They just want it to stop, right? 
I don't care what it is. I don't care if God's trying to teach me something. I don't care if the, or it's of a consequence of my bad decisions. I just want it to stop. Every, I feel that way. You feel that way. We all feel that way. Unfortunately, right? Uh, unfortunately, making it stop is not always the best thing. It's not. We'll talk about that. Um... All right, so determining which one it is is crucial to getting through it, trial or consequence. So let's talk about it for a minute. I'm trying to chew my ice in the microphone. Ask yourself this question. Is this a direct result of a decision that I have made? Is the thing that I'm experiencing now a direct result of a decision that I have made? Okay, crazy example. Um, you're sitting in jail. Right? You're sitting in jail. Is this a direct result of a decision that you have made? Likely it is, right? So we're, 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 we're not going to get all angry for God, angry at God for... For making us experience this trial, right? Oh Lord, this trial that you put me through. No, listen, bro, it ain't no trial. You made a poor decision and now you're experiencing a consequence. And the way out of the thing, right, is determined based on what it is, right? We don't exit a trial the same way we exit a consequence. That's why it's critical to know which one it is. So, um, Sometimes we don't need a super spiritual approach to know that my poor decisions led to my current circumstances. You don't got to do any, you don't got to journal it, right? You don't got to search the scripture for it. You don't even really got to pray about it. I can tell you, generally, if you're sitting in jail, 99 times out of 100 is because you made a poor decision. That does not mean it's not redeemable by God. In fact, who are we if we don't have hope in Jesus Christ to redeem even the poorest of decisions that we have made? You see, the only, the only difference between me and the person that's sitting in jail is that someone saw their poor decision. People don't always see my poor decisions. And God is redeeming them both. Okay, um, so number one step, number one step in determining whether this is a trial or the consequence, besides the obvious of just being able to know that I did X, therefore Y is going to happen, all right, uh, is this. Um, it, I mean, this may be like the super like Sunday school pastoral answer, but have you tried asking God about it? Have you tried asking God for his opinion on why we're experiencing this current hardship? Lord, why, why am I going through this? Why, why am I experiencing this pain? Why, why is this suffering existing? Why, why am I not able to get away from it? Lord, what is going on in my life that is... That is making this to happen. 
We have in Psalm chapter 139, uh, probably altogether my favorite psalm. Um, psalm chapter 139, verses 23 and 24, maybe to ask this question of the Lord. When we, when we ask of the Lord, Lord, what is this suffering that I am going, what, what is this difficult season that I am experiencing? Lord, am I, am I sitting under the consequence of a decision that I have made? Or are you, are you seeking to do something in me to develop some soul currency within me that's bringing me to a place of maturity that I could not get to on my own? Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Examine my heart, Lord. Point out, Lord, point out any wicked or offensive way within me. Father, Father, reveal to me all of the dark corners of my life where I have shut the light of Jesus Christ off because I don't like what exists there and I don't want to look at it anymore. Illuminate every corner. Sweep up every cobweb. Search me and know me fully, Lord, that I may understand. Here's the, uh, uh, <clears throat> the caveat, the asterisk, the footnote on this little section here is that we always must be very careful what we pray. Because if you begin to ask God questions like, search my heart, Lord. Show me. Reveal to me. Make alive to me all of the skeletons and cobwebs and dark corners. Man, those are the types of prayers that open up the ears of heaven. And conviction from the Holy Spirit will, be, will come rushing into your life. That, that if you're not ready to act upon that, it can be soul crushing. But sometimes, in, in, in desperation even, to move past the suffering... We must allow the Lord to reveal the darkness of our hearts. Because as we're going to see here, that it's, the, it's the key, it's the first step in moving past it. The second thing, ask God first, right? Who knows? The second thing uh, I would say that we probably do the least of um, is to seek godly, unbiased wisdom. You know who knows whether what you're experiencing in your life is because of a decision that you have made or because God is doing something in you? The godly men and women around you that don't have skin in the game. unbiased godly wisdom 
men and women who know you well enough to know what's going on, but don't have any skin in the game of whether it's a trial or a consequence. They just see it for what it is, and they love you, and they, have, they, they possess spiritual discernment in their, in their own lives, right? And, 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 and therefore, God has given them, by, by virtue of the, the grace and gift of friendship and wisdom, to see very clearly what is going on, right? I, 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 can, I can almost never see what is truly going on, right? Unless you have very keen self-awareness. Like, because when we look in the mirror, we look in the mirror like holding it like an inch from our nose, right? And everything is blurry and we can't see it. And often we need to stand back. Like, the people who are standing back from us five or ten feet, they can see very clearly. But listen, the important thing here is, um, the important thing is when you're determining whether something is a trial or a consequence in your life, is to understand that the same thing can look different to a person that looks at you or what you're going through through the lens of Jesus Christ and someone who looks at you through the lens of the world. And so if you truly want to understand and you truly want to get through and past suffering or a difficult experience, don't, don't go be asking worldly William at work, okay? Because worldly William will give you a worldly answer, right? And does not have, listen, he does not have the spirit of God living within him that witnesses to his own spirit the wisdom of God. So if you're getting all of your suffering, trial, hardship, consequence advice from those who don't know Jesus, you may be getting bad advice. Proverbs talks, I mean, you, you could preach a whole series of sermons on friendship, godly wisdom from Proverbs, but just a few to note, Proverbs chapter 12 Verse 15, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Would you give me some advice about what, something I'm going through? Because, man, I'm, I just keep doing, uh, I'm just marching down this path and things just don't seem to be lining up like, Life is not great. Would you just kind of speak into that a, a, a little bit? Like, uh, the way of a fool seems right to him. A wise person listens. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20. Advice and accept instruction. At the end, you will be wise. This is the second part of this, is that when we godly, unbiased wisdom, you better take it. Ah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Or that's not what I wanted to hear. I'm going to go find someone that tells me exactly what I want to hear. You're good, bro. Nah, I wouldn't worry about it. Just stick with it, you know. Try harder next time. Not a good plan. 
You've already determined that this person that you're seeking wisdom from is unbiased and possesses the Spirit of God, right? Not a good plan to not listen to wisdom. Uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. You are not my friend if you withhold from me the things I need to hear because you're afraid of offending me. Super unpopular. Super unpopular. Now, is there a way in which to communicate difficult truth in the life of someone else that still communicates grace and love and gentleness? Certainly. All right? Certainly. However, wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. Is it a direct result of a decision that I've made? Have I asked God to for consequence? Have I sought godly, unbiased wisdom, and then have I taken that wisdom? Yes, all right. So I have determined what it is, right? Likely, you probably already know, okay? The consequence, it's likely like revealed to you like this, okay? Um, but if you get to the third and you now I know, it is a, this is a trial. What do we do if we get through our discernment and we determine that this is not a direct result of something that I have done? This is something that has kind of just popped up in my life and it's been, it's been difficult and it's been, it's been hard and there's not really a, there's not really a, a, a reason. Maybe it's a, a medical diagnosis that has just, you know, come completely 100% out of left field. You've never, you've never smoked a cigarette a day in your life, right? But you have lung cancer. It's a trial. What does the scripture say to do in moments of trial? This is more difficult than the consequence. I'm just going to be honest with you. Okay? Because we want like a do A, B, C, and D and then it'll end. But scripture is really clear. The way through a trial is to persevere. To endure it. If it is a trial persevere and endure we see that in james chapter 1 james said in james says in verse uh verse 2 starting in verse 2 of james chapter 1 consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
Perseverance, listen. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Then in verse 12, blessed is the one who wiggles out of and escapes from trial. No, perseveres under trial because when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love them. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, no less, honestly, no less, no less encouraging, no more encouraging, I should say, but every bit is true. Verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 12, 7 through 11, endure hardship as what? Discipline. Why do we discipline our children? For fun? Or because we're trying to develop something in them that would not be possible for them to develop on their own had they not experienced the hardship of the discipline. Right? Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. For what child is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Listen. <laughs> James says, all of God's kids are getting it. All of God's kids are getting it. If you're not getting it, you're not a child of God. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may, what? Share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Man, that's not fair. It ain't fair. How many times have your, has your child said that? Right? That ain't fair. What do you um, sarcastically say? I, maybe not you, right? <laughs> um, what, what do I sarcastically say? This ain't a democracy, son. I ain't trying to be fair. Uh, God is not a millennial. He's not. God's highest goal 
is not your agreement with his decisions, nor is he interested in how fair you think he is. If you have embraced the grace of Jesus Christ for, for the forgiveness of your sins, you have inherently embraced something that is eternally unfair. In fairness, God would have us on the cross. There is nothing fair about the love of God. It is inherently and at its very central basis unfair. Thank you, Lord, for how unfair you are with me. you're experiencing a trial, endure and persevere. If you're experiencing a consequence, repent. If you're experiencing a consequence, repent. Repentance is not the same thing as regret. We can almost always regret the things that we do right? Um, regret is, I mean, I'm being very simplistic, but regret is, I'm sorry I got caught. Regret is, Noah, tell your sister I'm, you're sorry. I'm sorry. Right? Y'all know when someone regrets something, not they repent of something, right? What is the difference? Repentance is sorrowful, active. Listen, Sorrowful and active turning away from the pattern, the thought, or the actions that produced the consequence. The word repentance in the original Greek literally means to turn and walk the other way. This way produced the consequence in repentance I turn and walk in the other direction. I turn my back. Now, here's the thing, is that repentance does not, repentance does not erase the worldly consequence of a decision that I have made. Do you understand? I have, I have made a poor decision Attached to that poor decision has been a consequence, right? I understand that. I have now, though, repented of my decision. It doesn't mean my consequence gets to go away. It doesn't mean that it doesn't go away, but it doesn't automatically mean that it goes away. What repentance does in that moment is it lifts emotional and spiritual Wait. It disintegrates the emotional, spiritual weight that hinders the redeeming work of God in that circumstance. So, so, so God wants to work actively in the midst of your consequences to redeem them for your good and His glory. He is, He is waiting. He is ready he is like he is like 
like a runner at the blocks ready to take off when the repentance gun fires, right? Into the redeeming work of your life. It doesn't mean that the earthly consequence will be lifted, but it does mean that the emotional and spiritual weight that has hindered that redeeming work from taking over would be gone. And as Peter preached in Acts chapter 3, one of the very first sermons after the ascension of Jesus Christ that called people to faith in him and called people to repentance, uh, Peter says this in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. This is such a beautiful, beautiful understanding of how repentance brings redeeming new life in Jesus Christ. He says, um, but Peter and John replied, verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing come from the Lord. That a time of refreshing may come to the Lord from the Lord. The Lord is ready to refresh. The Lord is ready to redeem. The Lord is ready and willing and able to take every poor decision that you have made and renew it and redeem it and refresh it for your good and for his glory. But repentance is the key ingredient. A turning away from that life. A turning away from that sin. A turning away from that action. Absolutely the only thing that lifts that emotional and spiritual weight that hinders God's redeeming work. Suffering hardship, trial, universal human experience, whether you know Jesus, whether you don't know Jesus. Sometimes the things in our life, the, the hardship or the suffering that we're enduring is because of decisions that we have made. And when we have made poor decisions, the quickest way, the quickest way to redemption and refreshing is repentance. Sometimes there is no rhyme or reason for what we're experiencing. The hardship, the trial, the pain, the suffering. It is not because of any decision that I have made. The Lord has revealed both in my life and for he has searched my heart. He has opened up every dark corner. Every cobweb has been cleaned. I have sought godly, unbiased wisdom on my behalf. There is, there is nothing my life that I, that I that I'm hiding that I need to repent of I'm going through this very difficult thing and what God is asking me in this moment is to endure persevere do not give up stay the course God 
is doing something in you. And sometimes the seasons are so short. And sometimes, like winter in western New York, the season seems to never end. Right? But trials are just like seasons. They do end. Just as, that there, just as there is a beginning and you can't really tell, well, like, it's te- technically still fall, right? Like right now? Hasn't felt like fall in the last few days. Am I in? I know the season's going to start. I know the season's going to end. I don't exactly know when, right? Hang on. Hang on to each other. Link arms. Get in some get in gospel community. Join a small group. Join an open house. Let them carry your burden. Have them pray with you. Have them pray over you. Ask them for wisdom. Ask them for help. Gospel community. It's not it's not a cliche here. Like it's a critical ingredient to this whole thing. All right. Let me, um, I want to pray over you. Um, sometimes, you know, I don't, you don't always know how to proceed after, like, a, a message like this or any message, really. So, you know, I just, I'll make myself available up front here if you, if you want me to pray, pray with you. Um, help me help you, okay? <laughs> if you, if you need prayer when you come forward, let me know what you need me to pray with you or for you about, okay? Uh, so I can pray with uh, some specificity. Or some, uh, I'm, I'm kind of flying, flying solo here uh, this morning with most of our staff in Honduras, but I'll ask some of you are, are around that normally would pray with people, if you would, to stick around if there um, is some that need prayer with. So let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word this morning. We thank you for your grace. Um, Lord, we thank you that we thank you, Lord, that you have given us measures to redeem even the poorest and worst of our decisions. Lord, pray that you would bring us to a, a, a place of repentance. Lord, and when we experience trial, and when we experience hardship, and when there is no rhyme or reason to what we are experiencing other than what you are doing and teaching and building and maturing in us, Father, may we remain fixated on the North Star of who you are creating us to be and what you are creating us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.